Acts chapter 18. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about twelve men in all. And he entered the synagogue, and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn, and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. 
and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. This is the word of the Lord. We are continuing with our eight essential elements of the biblical Christian gospel series. We are on element 7N, small letter E. In 7N, we're looking at the pattern of the first five steps of coming into... Uh, well, in element 7, we're looking at the pattern of the first five steps that people took in the New Testament when they came into Christ. And we're making the observation that most American Christians have taken two of those five steps. Uh, very few have taken three. Some have taken three. Almost no one takes... Uh, all five of those steps. And what we have to do is begin our Christian life by taking those five steps. There's no examples in the New Testament of someone taking longer than a week or so to take those five steps. And this we're going to see a little bit. Some of what he read today pertains actually to step four, which very few Christians have really taken. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. Praise the Lord. So, um, hopefully we'll introduce that because when we finish uh, this Baptizing the Holy Spirit series, which again, we're running that at the same time because step three of the five is getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. So we're doing kind of a new, longer, more complete series on being baptized in the Spirit. That This is chapter 12 of that series. And chapter 12, we're looking at the five examples from the book of Acts of people coming to Christ, who it records uh, some things about whether they got baptized in the Spirit or not. And so we're looking at those five examples. Today will be the fifth, so that's why this is called 12E. And this one where, is where Paul brings the promises to Ephesus. Then hopefully I'll have enough time today to go back and review some things from all five. Now, the five steps we're talking about are listed in Roman numeral 2, capital A, small number 2, in, in uh, Roman numerals, sub, small Roman numerals 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. We're focusing, again, on step 3, baptizing the Holy Spirit. And the last four weeks, we have gone through four examples, and today will be the fifth, that you can find in the book of Acts uh, that records. Now, there are about seven uh, times where it gives us some detail of people coming to Christ in the book of Acts, but uh, two of them say nothing one way or another about this, about this subject. Um, there are other times where it simply says someone came to the Lord or whatever, or lots of people came to the Lord or that kind of thing, but it doesn't give us any detail. And... Um, so these are the five examples where you know, the Holy Spirit chose through Luke to zoom in and give us some detail of what happened at the beginning of their Christian walk. All right, now, if you go down to Roman numeral three, uh, you'll see that on Ascension Thursday, we just had Ascension Sunday recently, uh, when Jesus ascended to be with the Father, he, the last thing he did was gather his disciples together and command them not to leave the city Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. And he clearly defines that in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, as the promise of the Father is to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
And because of what they did the next 10 days in terms of having a daily prayer meeting and so forth, and then the scripture records the day of Pentecost has come, it's very clear that Jesus is referring to the promise of the Father is Pentecost coming on believers. God's promise, all of God's promises, as we'll see next week, we're going to actually do a whole week on just the phrase, the promise, and we're going to see that all of God's promises from Genesis chapter 3, what's called the proto-evangel, all the way through the calling of Abraham and his promises to David and on through to the new covenant and so forth, all of God's promises flow like a river into one great promise that when you're reconciled to God, you're called into his kingdom, you're adopted as his son and daughter, you get the inheritance of being filled with the power of his spirit in the exact same way that his son Jesus ministered and lived on the earth. And anything less is less than biblical. So uh, most Christians through the centuries have lived far, far below the things Jesus died to give you. And the abundant life God, Christ calls you to is something that includes being filled with the Holy Spirit on the same level that he was and that the disciples in the book of Acts were. So we want to do enough scripture study to make that perfectly clear. Okay, Now, at the bottom of the page, you'll see the five questions we're asking of the five examples. And I've taken some time to rework them a little bit and make them more clear and turn them into questions. So they're, that's a little different than you see on your outlines for the last four weeks. So number one is each experience of someone receiving Christ uh, and then receiving the Holy Spirit, called again, called receiving the promise of the Father, also called baptizing the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1, 4, and 5, Jesus makes those one and the same. The language makes that very clear that those are the same thing. Receiving the promise of the Father and being baptized in the Holy Spirit is one and the same thing. Acts 1, 4, and 5 makes that very clear, as we've already covered. So whenever that happens, is it a distinct and separate experience from receiving Jesus Christ, which we covered receiving Jesus Christ as element five of the, or I'm sorry, six of this gospel series. And we looked at it for 24 weeks. We looked at all kinds of biblical words about confession and repentance and renunciation and new birth and regeneration and all kinds of things that help us understand what it means to receive Jesus Christ. Because that is actually the beginning problem for most Christians. Most Christians have not received Jesus Christ or the gospel in, in a completely biblical sense. And they've received something less than the gospel and something less than the biblical Jesus. And they're living far below the introductory steps that you should experience in the beginning days of your Christian life. So many times people are living below what they should be experiencing the first week of their Christian life 20 and 30 years after they've come to Christ, and they go to church every Sunday. And they read their Bibles, and they're acting in their faith, but they're just blind by the spirit of unbelief of our age, by the spirits of religious confusion, by the spirits of compromise and double-mindedness, the spiritual forces of wickedness that rule in Western culture today. Rule with small r, because of course Jesus ultimately rules, and Jesus is moving to restore his church. 
That's the purpose of the outpouring of the Spirit, which has progressively been poured upon the church in the last century or so. Most have received that and just thought it was so we could have more exciting worship and a few spiritual gifts and be, pray more often and have other tintillating things. They haven't seen that the Spirit was given to lead and guide us into all of the truth. What God has in mind is the recovery of everything. And, uh, and that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house. The, the body of Christ will rise up and be greater than it was in the first five centuries instead of our current condition of spiritual confusion and far less than what was in the first five centuries. That's where God is going, and that's what we are trying to pioneer. So is it a distinct and separate experience from receiving Jesus Christ, which hopefully you know by now involves two steps, being born again, or made alive, your sp the Holy Spirit coming into your spirit in regeneration, and being converted, where you're no longer living for yourself, but you are now living unto the glorification of God and the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and you've had a heart change about that. You're not into pursuing your fame or your career or your TV ministry. or you, you, You're not in it for yourself anymore. You're completely in it for Christ. That's supposed to happen at the beginning of your Christian walk. You know, if you, one of the ways you can know if you're still defensive and you have a hard time admitting your sin or whatever, then you're, then you're still too much in it for you. So, um, secondly, we want to ask, is speaking in tongues the outward initial evidence of the inner reality in the New Testament or in the book of Acts or in apostolic practice? In other words, when someone receives the Holy Spirit in the New Testament sense, is speaking in tongues uh, the outward evidence of that inner change of empowerment? Thirdly, does this uh, normally follow soon after conversion uh, from a few moments to a few days, or is it years later? Is there some uh, period of growth in grace that's required first? Do you have to reach some level of spiritual maturity before God will baptize you in his Holy Spirit? I would argue that you need to be fully converted, but you do not need to uh, have attained to any level of sanctification or maturation and in fact, it's a gift of God's grace to, to take you there. And God would no more withhold that from a baby Christian than he would say, tell you that he'll, when you finally get serious about reading your Bible, then he'll let you have a Bible. Although there have been Christians throughout the centuries, more recently in totalitarian states that have not had Bibles. And, and uh, we have so many Bibles, you know, like, uh, Unbelievable. We, we just have a hard time finding time to study them. Thirdly, does this normally follow soon after conversion? We already covered that. Uh, four, are each of the five examples uh, accompanied by an atmosphere of expectancy or impartation? And if so, how does God preordain, what are, what are God's preordained activities? How does he work in and through the apostolic community to bring about this spiritual climate of faith and expectation? What does God do to create this atmosphere? Now, uh, what are the roles of prayer, for witnessing, proclamation of the kingdom, laying on of hands, and so forth? How does this atmosphere 
uh, where the Holy Spirit is, is being poured out and, and manifest, how is that brought about in the life of beginning Christians, and is there a discernible pattern? Fifthly, are there additional biblical manifestations that follow getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, including the fruits of the Spirit, gifts of power, gifts of the Holy Spirit, and so forth? Is there boldness for witnessing? Is there more sanctification and dedication? Are there other things that happen such as, and I listed four of them toward the bottom, uh, are you taken through a time of testing, brokenness, and repeated fillings? Now that is so important because we saw that when in the, uh, the part that we called element seven, whatever the letter before N is, L, M, N, M, N, at 7M, and uh, uh, chapter 11 in this series, we looked for 11A, B, and C, we looked at the pattern of, in the life of Jesus, and you'll see that Jesus always was filled with the Holy Spirit, just like every Christian is regenerated and filled with the Holy Spirit. But Jesus got filled with the Holy Spirit uh, when he was about to start his public ministry. And when he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Spirit immediately led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That's why I jokingly say the, uh, the ultimate sign of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is trouble. <laughs> the, the ultimate sign of getting baptized as the Holy Spirit is the, the Holy Spirit has led you into a time of testing mm -hmm. and all hell is breaking loose in your life and, and God is being glorified <laughs> through that because you're learning to lean not on your own understanding anymore mm -hmm. and you're leaning not on your own power or your own righteousness, and you're actually getting broken from your self-righteousness, which has you in a death grip. That's the human condition that God came to save you from, and only he can liberate you. All of us rely on ourselves. All of us are about ourselves. We are self, 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 narcissistic, me, myself, and I, and that is ruining the church today. That's the spirit behind the TV stuff and the radio stuff and the, the spirit of let us make a name for ourselves, known as the spirit of Babel in Genesis, is, is dominating American Christianity, uh, especially in the airwaves. May God deliver us from the spirit of making a name for ourselves. Wouldn't it be great to see a few books published anonymously? So, um, you know, one of the things that I always see is when someone gets baptized in the Holy Spirit, they, they go through trouble at their job, with their roommates, with their kids, with their finances. That's the sign that Jesus loves you. Without such things, you are an illegitimate child. That's the sign that you've really been adopted into his kingdom. He's beaten the stuffing out of you. <laughs> Praise you, Jesus. And, uh, you know, he had, it's kind of like petting a cat backwards. And it's going, and God's just trying to say, turn around, stupid. <laughs> and, then, and then it'll be really nice. <laughs> All right, so uh, is there boldness for witnessing? Are there attesting miracles? Is there increased zeal and passion for God? Uh, 
Are there fruits of the Spirit? Character? Is there a manifest presence? Is there personal corporate holiness and, and desire, deep desires for that that's willing to really go after it? Or do we just go, well, you know, I've been living with my gluttony for like 47 years, so let, let's go to Chipotle <laughs> and pray about it. <laughs> you know, like, are you just compromised with whatever besetting sin you're wrestling with and you've just decided... Well, I'm just going to live with this one. It's amazing how many Christians just live with some besetting sin that's robbing them of the presence of God in their life. Lots of Christians actually dwell at that address. All right, so let's get into example five. John Gray was gracious enough to read it to us, and so let's go through it. Number one is, is it a distinct and separate experience from the new birth? Now, to understand that, that's why I had him read a little bit of chapter 18, and maybe we should have gone back even further in chapter 18. So I wish, uh, can't wait till we get this whole job done, because eventually, and of course Deanna's just starting with me and so forth, eventually I'm going to have Deanna make things ahead of time for this and beyond there. It would be nice to have a map on the screen, but you would probably have them in your Bible. Hopefully you can picture uh, where Corinth is in, in Asia. If not, looking up and see if you have a Bible map or something or pull one up on your phone. But what happens here is simply this. There's a guy named Apollos who's at Ephesus. And Ephesus at that time, Ephesus is about 600 miles inland from the coast of the Mediterranean today because the harbor began to fill up shortly after uh, the, the apostolic times. If you remember, Jesus told the Ephesians that if you don't repent, you've left your first love, and if you don't repent, I will take uh, the lampstand from your midst. And the Ephesus church was one of the few churches in the New Testament that did not last for a thousand years or longer because the harbor of Ephesus started to silt up, and God judged the Ephesians church, even though Paul planted the church, uh, John was the senior pastor of Ephesus for a long time, and Timothy was the senior pastor at Ephesus for a long time. Pretty good. They had some good ministers, a little better than we've ever had. <laughs> uh, so yet, uh, yet they had left their first love, and God ordained that the harbor started silting up. And today the harbor of Ephesus is actually about 600 miles offshore. Now that's some silting up. <laughs> so... Um, Ephesus ceased to exist by the 7th century as a city because it was no longer a there was no longer a port there, and the city died. Now, Apollos is actually a guy that we have a hard time with this understanding because, and again, this is one of, just like we saw in Acts 8 and Acts 9 and Acts 10, if you understand the, the times of the New Testament, understand that these books were not written so we could go, oh, Isaiah 22, 3 came to me, and it was, it's my verse for me and my surgery. <laughs> it was written directly to me, and along with Ezekiel 12, 7. You know? no, it, no, these things were written in a context, and they're written with a particular message to the people who received them. And that's the first principle you got to get start to understand to, to undo biblical hermeneutics correctly. Not that it isn't eternal and doesn't apply to us, but it applies to us when we understand the backdrop. So we have trouble with this today because today we have some shooting 
Well, I should probably use those have become so common, most people don't pay attention to them anymore. But let's say we have something that was noteworthy on the other side of the world, maybe a big enough earthquake or a tsunami, whatever. We know it within seconds all across the world, right? And satellites and so forth. So we have a hard time putting ourselves back in this time period. This was a period in time that was called the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. And it started. Uh, uh, about the time of Julius Caesar, about, about seven or so decades before Christ was born, and it continued on into about the third century. And it was a time when the Romans called the Mediterranean Sea our lake because they ruled all the nations surrounding the Mediterranean Sea, and there were no obstacles to their rule for a period of almost a thousand years. So during the height of this, called the Pax Romana, the Romans began to build roads, and those happened to coincide with what the Bible calls the fullness of time. That's why God sent his son at that time, among many other reasons why he sent, uh, why the coming of Jesus was in the fullness of time. That is a lot more than just the Roman roads, but that's a piece of it. So there was an ability to travel much greater than any other uh, people who had ever lived on the earth were enjoying. And you could go from what is today Britain to Egypt, oh, in a few years' time, which you couldn't do before. And you could go safely without being killed, <laughs> more importantly, uh, although you wouldn't travel the roads at night or whatever. So what's happening here is this guy, Apollos, hears John the Baptist preaching and he realizes because of his great knowledge of all scripture this guy is the prophet of God prophesied in Isaiah that will prepare the way of the Lord and prophesied also in Malachi 3 and 4 and he decides to take um, the message of John to the rest of the Jewish community scattered in all the cities throughout the Roman Empire called the dispersion. And so he, uh, this is years after the resurrection and years after the planting of Jerusalem church. In fact, the Antioch church had already get, not only been planted, but grown mature enough to send out Paul and Barnabas and other apostolic teams and so forth. Yet the message of Jesus hasn't caught up with Apollos yet. He's still preaching John's baptism that he had heard, and I forget all the math, 20 some years earlier. Now, we can't fathom that in our modern culture, but that's exactly what happened here. So he's preaching John the Baptist's message, telling the people to be ready for Jesus to come. And the Messiah is going to be coming any time now, <laughs> not knowing he already did come. <laughs> and something that also wouldn't happen today is Priscilla and Aquila, who are two of Paul's apostolic team, hear him preaching, and they say, hey, can we talk to you? Let's, let's just have, like, let's do lunch. Panera bread. <laughs> you know, let's meet up at Chipotle. Uh, and they take Apollos aside and explain to him the ways of God more accurately. And Apollos, unlike today, doesn't say, hey, I'm mighty in the scriptures. You guys are not, you guys are just common folk. And you're telling me? No. Apollos, in great humility, 
receives their correction. That would never happen today. You can't even get an audience among most pastors who have it all figured out to tell them anything. So, and that's part of the spirit of our times. That would not happen today, but it did happen because it was a very different time period. And Apollos humbly listens to them and says, wow, thanks for catching me up. Got it. Uh, so you think it's okay? Would it be all right with you if I go ahead and just sail right across the Aegean Sea over to, to Achaia, which is a province of Rome. Rome had provinces like we have states. And the capital city of the province of Achaia was Corinth. So Apollo says, I'm going to go ahead and sail across the Mediterranean Sea, the little GNC or whatever, and I'll uh, and, uh, go to Achaia. And Priscilla and Aquila actually wrote him letters of recommendation and said, receive him when he comes. Right? Meanwhile, Paul had been up in Antioch visiting the church there. If you read all of Acts 18, you'll see that. And he had come back for the second time to Antioch to report what God had been doing as, they, as he and, had planted churches and so forth. The first time he had taken Barnabas and Silas and others. The second time he and Barnabas split up over the John Mark issue. But Paul had a team and he continued to work with his team and plant churches and send guys like Epaphras to Colossae because Colossae wasn't an important enough church for Paul to go to, city for Paul to go to. Or he went to the big cities like Corinth. Paul comes from Asia Minor, what we would call Turkey today, to Ephesus, which would be kind of in the northern Syria today. And what we called Asia back then would be like northern Syria, Iraq, and Turkey. And so uh, Paul goes by land to Ephesus, so he and Apollos don't happen to meet. And Paul has no idea what Priscilla and Aquila have taught uh, Apollos, nor has he even heard of Apollos. Nor has it dawned on him that some guy was 20 years behind with the message and has preached in Ephesus already. So Paul, when he arrives in, Eph in Ephesus, finds 12 men that he thinks are disciples of Jesus. They say, we're disciples of the way. So he thinks they're Christians. And so he asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Because it would have been New Testament practice right at the beginning of their faith to also not only lead them into conversion, but to lead them into the baptism in the Spirit. And they answer, no, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. And Paul was like, what are you going to like Jesus only apostolic church or some cult or something? No, he's like, what are you guys into? Like, you haven't heard of the Holy Spirit. Can you help me with that a little bit? <laughs> you know, and they, he goes, what were you baptized into then? If you, you know, because we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and uh, you haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. What, what are you guys into, man? Like, is this, you've been watching that TV Christianity. I almost want to call out a certain name of a non-Trinitarian guy on TV that's very famous, but let's not go there. Uh, but uh, and they, they're like, no, we haven't even heard of TV yet. <laughs> so, uh, 
so he discovers they only heard John's message. So, of course, he tells them about Jesus. Then he water baptizes them, step two. Then he lays hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit, step three. And they speak in tongues, part of step three, and prophesy, part of step three, and part of the additional fruits that go, the part of point five of our step three that we're looking at. And uh, furthermore, what happens after that is that creates enough spiritual atmosphere and momentum, kind of like we experienced from January this year for several months where there was enough sort of anointing and spiritual momentum that a bunch of stuff started happening. People were coming into the church and people were getting baptized in the spirit and people were getting delivered from demons and some marriages were being rescued and, and good, good stuff was happening. Why? Because uh, the 12, this is why you don't despise the day of small beginnings, the 12 was enough of a spiritual breakthrough in the spiritual atmosphere of Ephesus for Paul to stay on at Ephesus and begin to preach through the whole city and the Holy Spirit began to fall on Ephesus, and extraordinary miracles started happening. Not just your ordinary, everyday, common book of Acts miracles, but extraordinary ones. So much so that Paul created the TV doctrine of like buying, uh, I'm just kidding, <laughs> blessed bottles of water and napkins and stuff. I, I'm all for blessed napkins, but, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I don't know about handkerchiefs, but you know, whatever. The handkerchiefs just an improvement on napkins. But uh, <laughs> so uh, I probably shouldn't preach this stuff because it, it kind of. I'm just you know I I I'm not trying to entertain you, although that's fun. But I'm trying to kind of open it up to you and help you see it. Is this happened in real place in real time in real circumstances that you have to understand the culture in the background to to get what's happening here. So a, a move of God breaks out in Ephesus for a couple of years. So much so that the, the guys who make the little gods and idols that they sell, John, John was uh, over there in Greece, and they, you know, they make all these little statues of all the gods and different things to, to this day. Those guys are like, you're going to ruin our trade. <laughs> you know? You're going to mess up our occult economy. And they were not happy with Paul preaching Jesus. Okay, so again, clearly, this is clearly separate steps. They receive Jesus, they're water baptized, and they're baptized in the Spirit. Secondly, do they speak in tongues? They not only speak in tongues, but they prophesy because the words gifts of the Spirit are the easiest ones to step into at the beginning of your Christian life you should start to prophesy regularly when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you don't, it's very sub-biblical. The Bible actually says you can all prophesy one by one. You should be used in prophecy regularly and often if you're really seeking the Lord and staying filled with His Spirit. You should prophesy at Panera Bread, and, uh, I'm on Panera today, for, in your homes, in, you know, in your family devotions, in, your, in the small prayer group meetings, and, and, and so forth. Now, does this happen over years? It's possible that maybe this meeting happened on into the next day. doesn't say that, though. Everything we can see from the passage is it probably happened the same day 
Now, assuming that the messages of the book of Acts are summaries, maybe it was an hour or two or three after they were water baptized. I don't know. Maybe the, this whole incident took one hour. It certainly didn't take weeks and months. The likelihood that it was even the next day is very unlikely given the text. In other words, these people went through at least three steps uh, at the first day they heard about Jesus. Number four is the atmosphere of spiritual impartation. Well, the Apostle Paul, I, I've prayed and laid hands on people and so forth, but I'm not the Apostle Paul, and I've seen God do some miracles, and I've seen some healings and so forth, but I probably have never been in very many seasons that I would call extraordinary miracles, uh, although I've had a few seasons that had more miracles than others. Um, but... Um, there's clearly an atmosphere of spiritual impartation because of the, who Paul is and because of his laying on of hands, and that's how that's imparted. And lastly is their ongoing fruit. They prophesy that Paul and others begin to speak boldly. There's extraordinary miracles. There's even a riot. <laughs> like when's the last time you started a riot from your preaching? Um, so... And, it's, and the result was, it says, all Asia heard the word of the Lord. That's pretty good results. There was such a move of God that it started with 12 people, and like the whole city of Dayton and the Miami Valley heard the word of the Lord. Wouldn't that be awesome? Now, we've got to start asking God to take our expectations there as we restore the full pattern, because he will abundantly bless Whatever we, to the degree that we find, rediscover, and restore the pattern and learn as a community to walk rightly. Now, let's summarize this in, through the five examples. Uh, is receiving Jesus a distinct and separate experience? It clearly is in every one of the examples. The two that you kind of want to look at a little bit more are Acts 2 because there's always the question of when were they converted? Were they converted when Jesus called them to follow me and I'll make you fishers of men? Or were they converted, in, as some dispensational modern people would say, that when Jesus, after the resurrection, when he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, is that when their spirits were made alive and they were quickened? In either case, there's no one who doesn't think they were converted long before Acts 2 in Pentecost. They didn't become Christians at Pentecost. Now, they got empowered to, to receive the fullness of their inheritance and to be the church. But they weren't converted at Pentecost. That's clear. Acts 10 is not clear because it says the Holy Spirit initially, if you look at it in a shallow way, because it says, while Paul was speaking, the Holy, or Peter, I'm sorry, Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he did on them in Acts 2, and they spoke in tongues and magnified God. So some people would say, well, that was one experience. But if you read Peter's summary of what happened when he's challenged in Acts 11, he says that they received the Holy Spirit after having believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you look at the whole context, of course they believe the message. 
They believed the message so much, they were, willing, they were about ready to fall down and worship Peter. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. The angels were sent to you to bring me because I'm going to tell you about the one you should be worshiping, Jesus. And they were expecting a message whereby they would be saved in their whole household. And Cornelius believed it enough that he got all his neighbors together. He said, you can't miss this meeting. A couple of the neighbors said, is it Amway? And they're, they're, no, 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 no. It's, trust me, it's way better than stay on selling knives and stuff or whatever, or vitamins. Like, you've you got to hear this. So they're like, okay, Cornelius, we trust you. You're, you're a good guy, so we'll, we'll come. But it better not be Amway. <laughs> you, know? you better not be trying to sign us up for some pyramid marketing scheme. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding around. So, uh, they, you know, so they believe as soon as he starts speaking. They believe every word he says. And when he says, you know of Jesus of Nazareth in Acts 10.38, who went about doing good and healing those who are believed by the devil, they're like, okay, we'll take them. Jesus, we got, we lie. okay, We're, we'll take it. Sign us up. We're so used to thinking that people get born again at altar calls. People at altar calls confirm what God has already done in their spirit and heart. So that evangelists can put notches on their belt and go, Spin their guns around a little bit and go, and put them back in. 27 this week. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> Glory to me. All right. So uh, that's the purpose of altar calls. All right. So... Uh, Is, uh, is there a, a pattern of them speaking in tongues? Remember Acts 2, 10, and 19 clearly say they spoke in tongues. All of them. Acts 8 and 9 say nothing about whether they spoke in tongues or not. However, in Acts 8, they saw some outward manifestation because even Simon the occultist knew the Holy Spirit had come. And in Acts 10, uh, I'm sorry, in Acts 9, we, we know that Paul later says, I speak in tongues more than you all. But some would argue, well, what if he started speaking in tongues months later or a year later? Acts 8 and 9 say nothing about it. But So is there a pattern here? There is, if you look, take seriously the words of Acts 10, because it says, when they were listening, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning, for they heard them speaking in tongues and exalting God. The apostles clearly recognized that the way we know the Holy Spirit has fallen on them is they, we hear them speaking with tongues and magnifying God. And that, those words clearly demonstrate that they were looking to that as the pattern. That's a smoking gun, irrefutable. Next, um, does it follow soon after conversion? Again, the Acts 2 thing is a little different. Because it's the first outpouring of the Spirit. So you could argue that Pentecost came as much as three to four years after they decided to be converted and follow Jesus and fish for men and so forth. However, it's, it's the first one, so it's in a, in a way not a pattern. It's ten days after Jesus tells them to expect it and ascends to be with the Father. The rest of them all happen in less than ten days' time. Acts 8 
could be three or four days to maybe 13 or 14 days, but it's clearly not weeks, months, and years later. Get baptized in the Spirit. Now, is um, because it's there for the asking. Like I always say, I was under conviction about quitting drugs when I got baptized in the Spirit, but I hadn't got too serious about that. <laughs> I was trying to avoid that. I was kind of like St. Augustine is famous for having prayed that he goes, God, deliver me from lust, but don't do it yet. But <laughs> I was sort of in that mode. <laughs> deliver me from my drugs someday, but not just, not just yet, Lord. I'm, I'm not there. I hadn't been granted repentance that leads to life in that particular area, yet God still filled me with the Holy Spirit because that was part of his granting me repentance that led to life. And so, uh, again, um, does it happen quickly and early, or does it take years of maturation? Anytime you run into any kind of attitude that getting baptized in the Spirit is some mark of maturity or having arrived somewhere, that is erroneous. It is a gift of God's grace to get you started. Just like hearing the gospel and getting your first Bible and being given a copy of Grace Christian Fellowship's 12 foundational book list, <laughs> a gift to get you started, you know, and getting a Spend some time with some of the brothers eating Indian food with Anvesh and worship manners. <laughs> That's a gift to get you started. All right? So, um, is there a pattern regarding an atmosphere of expectancy? Three of the five, there's laying on of hands by someone clearly very empowered and anointed of the Spirit. Two of the, two of the occasions, everyone gets baptized in the Spirit with no one laying on of hands. Because there was really no one that could have laid hands on in both cases. I know a number of people who got baptized in the Holy Spirit, including my wife and myself, Danetta Meadows, uh, who's not here today, uh, Amanda Wu, and so forth. I know a number of people who got baptized in the Spirit by themselves in, in their shower or what, crying out to God or what have you, or while they're falling down the steps or something, <laughs> in their room seeking God. And uh, in most cases, it was because there was uh, God just met their need because they were thirsty and they didn't even know enough to know to be prayed for. I mean, Catherine just was overwhelmed by the presence of God and she was like, oh, Lord, you love me so much and I want to tell you how much I love you. And I don't, you know, and that's why Peter says with words that are joy inexpressible and full of glory, she just started speaking in tongues. So, you know, usually God does that in situations where a person doesn't really kind of know enough and, and he kind of uses it to convince them and to fill them because they're going to need that down the road. And then the trouble begins. That's when you start having troubles with your boss or your roommate or whatever. All right. Um, are there additional biblical manifestations and fruit in all these examples there are? Acts 8 doesn't really follow the Samaritans, but it does say that they preached in other cities of the Samaria, and we know there were churches in Samaria from that point on. The rest of them have clearly some things about going on. So, are these five things a pattern? I think they're clearly a pattern. 
And we've got to get back to biblical patterns. You should expect these five things to happen when you ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit at the beginning of your Christian life. Because of the pattern of laying on of hands, I would suggest that in most cases, it's helpful to have some anointed people pray with you. That's why when we pray, we don't ask people to join the team who are struggling with a lot of demonic issues still and and so forth. We ask people who are walking clean and right and clear with the power of the Spirit to be parts of that team. And there's around 15 or 20 people in our church that, that regularly and often get asked to be parts of that team. And we want that the number of people that can be a part of that to grow to be 100 or so people who can do that. Uh, that's what we're hoping that you'll, you know, you'll go on a step four and get the deliverance you need and the sozos and the inner healings and the casting out of demons and start to walk in the light and not be, too, you know, not, not be non-teachable or confrontable or not have all kind of secret agendas and live in a double life so that you can be part of that too. And believe me, people that live double lives and stuff like that, they think, you know, I'm all spiritual at the prayer meetings and everything, but no one knows. But they, everyone knows. Everyone who really is filled with the Spirit knows. And uh, because uh, people who are filled with the Spirit and walk clean with the Spirit and so forth can discern your spirit. And... Uh, Nobody is not rooting for you to get set free and walk clean and be empowered and enjoy the power of the Lord and have an abundant life. Everybody's on your side. So the whole thing of like hiding things and going and doing this and that without, without opening it up and walking in godly counsel and everything, you know, quit living there. Darkness and light have no fellowship. Learn to confess your sins and to walk in the light. And to as they did in Acts 19, they disclosed their practices, it says. And they burned their occult stuff. And what happens today is so many people have things that they're holding on to and that are holding on to them in terms of movies and music and, and uh, demonic soul tie relationships and, and, uh, and addictions and pornography and you gluttony and you name it get rid of whatever is keeping you from jesus don't be in that camp that you're eight years 10 12 15 years and there's just no atmosphere of spiritual clarity and power and wisdom and fruit and insight around you because you're still letting too many things entangle you the Holy Spirit's given to set you free from all that. He's a bomb. The word dunamis, you shall receive power. We get dynamite from it. Let God blow you up and then start over with you. Amen.